first a moment and pray the blessing of his word upon us. Heavenly Father, we ask that for Jesus' sake, your spirit may be at work in your word so that we might rejoice in Christ and follow in a way that's worthy of his priestly work for us. And we'd ask that you'd hear us in the name of Jesus. Amen. You were wondering, I was talking to Cliff there a moment, I was just trying to remember what we were going to do in terms of greeting with after the installation process, and I like the practice that we have here that retiring elders get greeted for their work over the past term that they've had, so Floyd and Chad are asked to do that, and you can greet them in the back of the church in the middle after the service, I have to give them thanks for the services here. Uh, we're going to be going to Hebrews 7, 23 to 28, and we're going to carry on on Lord's Day 12, looking at the high priestly portion of what it means for Christ to be Christ and what it means for us to be Christians as priests ourselves then. Um, but we're going to look first at the Word of God at Hebrews 7, 23 to 28, and then page 19 in the back of Blue Hymnal goes to Lord's Day 12, and I'll just look at the priestly portion there with you today. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 to 28. Here's what God's Word says to us there. The former priests were many in number because they were presented by death from continuing in office, but he holds, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints the Son who has been made perfect forever. With that reading, we look at uh, that portion out of Lord's Day 12 when they're asking the question, you know, why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? He's our only high priest who set us free by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father. And then the part that deals with us as Christians and why we're called Christians is because we're presenting ourselves to him then in light of what he's done as a living sacrifice of thanks. Uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, last week we spoke about the calling that we have to confess Christ uh, as his followers, uh, where Christ was seen as the anointed prophet, and it's our calling to be prophetic. Uh, there's also calling here as we've seen, as we've read, we responded to it in, in the confession, professed Christ as his followers as the only high priest, and our responsibility then to follow him devotedly in a priestly way is living thank, uh, sacrifices of gratitude. So we're going to focus on that priestly angle this morning, and uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the royal aspect. But this morning, we, we look at uh, uh, this portion then that's dealing with uh, what it means for us to understand Christ as priest and then we as then living sacrifices. Professing Christ as his followers includes professing him then as 
our only high priest. Uh, that profession uh, has, interestingly enough, and I think you can see that both in what we just read that focuses on, in Hebrews, you see the heavenly element and then you see this earthly element coming through. You see that also in our confession uh, where we talk about his one sacrifice, but that which is done on earth, but then his intercession that goes on in heaven. And so it's interesting when you're looking at the priestly element of Christ that there's this earthly element and there's this heavenly element. But there's also then this once-for-all element, which is on earth, and then you've got this continual element that's in heaven. But yet heavenly or earthly, once or continual, his uniqueness and his supremacy comes out in, in any of those elements when you're professing Christ as your only high priest. If you look at our passage from Hebrews 7, among others, to speak of our only high priest, you would think at first, maybe if you're just scratching the surface, you're thinking this is rather presumptuous because we just get tell, told that there was a lot of priests. And yet we're confessing there's, he's our only one. Well, if the former priests were many, how can you speak of only one or our only high priest? For that matter, isn't the church considered a royal priesthood? Now, Jesus might be seen as, as one of many, then you'd say, and one in the middle of time. But, but the only high priest, how could that be? Well, to speak about Christ's oneness of priesthood is to speak about his supremacy and his uniqueness. The former priests, in one sense, accomplished nothing in reality. Again, we talked about that last week a little bit, about being real, right? Well, here too. If you're talking about the reality of pardon and the reality of satisfaction, those priests didn't do any of that. They didn't accomplish any of that when it comes to satisfaction for sin. And the reason that they didn't was manifested in many ways. And we see that in our passage. The offerings that they were supplying were inferior because it was the blood of bulls and goats that was offered. And they themselves were inferior because they died. And they were sinful, which is why they died. And it's why they had to be replaced so often. It's not these priests, it's not that these priests didn't have a role to play in God's plan. They did. Of course they did. Their action and their office out of which they acted and even their inferiority, inferiority were teaching much. They were teaching that sin needed atonement. And that sin against the holy God had to be appeased. And that while these priests pictured what that atonement would resemble, both the death of the animals and the death of the priests show that the reality of that atonement had yet to occur. And enter Jesus then, who guarantees a better covenant. Where we find our fitting high priest, like, like the writer says, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. None of those priests could say that. No, no royal priest of today can say that. Here's the proper appointment, the Son of God, appointed by the oath of God. And so this priest is, there's no priest like him. Not before, not since. You know, it's like when we're saying about all these people who are serving in office. 
They're serving like Christ, but they're not Christ. You know, they're, they're serving as those who are called to be examples of Christ, but they can't be Christ. There's only one Christ. And so here's the proper appointment. Any other priest prior to him had to offer sacrifices first for himself and then for all the people and all their sins through sacrifices that along with the one who sacrificed were weak. That's not the case of the only high priest that Jesus is. He has no need to offer sacrifices daily. He did this once for all when he offered up himself the perfect sacrifice that he was. And that once-for-all element of Christ's unique priesthood is of an earthly variety. In a good sense. In fact, a perfect sense. No priest before or after ever carries Christ's perfection. This perfect priesthood is what the Old Testament priest could only foreshadow. Crying out for the perfect, full, and real atonement that Christ would accomplish on earth. And it's that priesthood of righteousness and sacrifice of Christ that, that Christians are called to reflect in the New Testament era, of course, which we will mention more in a moment. Whether you're leaders or members, that's our call. Our first calling, and that of the entire world, is to make the profession that it is only by the one sacrifice of Christ by which reconciliation to God and redemption from sin can occur. And we cannot add to what is unique to this once-for-all priestly act that was carried out on earth. Any other priestly act by mere humanity can only resemble or, or cry out for this unique priestly act of Christ? Such acts could never replace it. They could never duplicate it. They could never add anything to what the priestly act of Christ alone could and does accomplish for those he came to save and belong to him. Those who profess the name of Christ. And so you see this once-for-all earthly element of Christ's priesthood there. That's what we profess. You see that. You see that in the passage. You see that in our confession. But there's also not just this once-for-all earthly element. There's also this continual element and heavenly element to this priesthood. We talked about this at the funeral yesterday when we were talking about the inseparable love of God that we said, what's the, what's the encouragement we have? Christ who died. But more than that, who was raised and is sitting at the right hand of God doing what? Interceding for us. The one, in the one thing on earth, the other in heaven. The one once for all, the other continual. A 
The passage says that the former weak priests appointed by the law and not by the oath of God were prevented by death from continuing in office. That kind of a prevent, preventing is not the case with Jesus. and not, not, not the case with Christ. You know, prior to our passage, we can read that the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Not, not just when he was on earth, but also now that he's in heaven. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is appointed such uh, a priest, having been made perfect forever. So you get that eternal nature of, of this priest, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's just as important to his priestly function as his once-for-all earthly element. They're both important. We hear in our passage that Christ holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And since he continues forever, he's able, our passage says, to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Uttermost salvation. When Christ is always a priest, those he's come to save and is able to save are those saved to the uttermost. That is, to the full and forever. And, and that really kind of gets to what we were saying yesterday, too, at the funeral, that where, where Paul would say, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's in the earthly side of it. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How come that can happen? It's because Christ is always interceding for us heavenly. It's a faithfulness that is, that is truly great. It's a, it's a steadfast Love that is truly that. God's favor toward us doesn't take a break. Not even in the most trying of times, and especially not then. We know the continual riches of the Father's favor because of the intercession of Christ. And by that continual pleading that happens in heaven, which is one of the reasons why it's good for Christ to go there, then we can draw near to God in right relationship with Him, to be sure, but because we're in right relationship, we can draw near to God. We can draw near to Him in worship as we do from week to week. That's our privilege. Not giving up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing it enables us also to draw near to God in prayer, seeking that which we need through the intercession of the Son, which is why in part that we pray in the name of Jesus, you see. Right? That when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name who intercedes for us. Use that name. 
when you pray to God. Because it's in that name that your intercession comes to the Father through the intercession of Christ, the great intercessor of his people, and by which we can show another kind of priestly practice as Christ followers as we ourselves intercede for others. So this intercession, we underline, is a continual activity. It is not a one-and-done practice. Now, Christ's priestly atonement on earth, that's one and done. That's once for all. But Christ's priestly work of intercession at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly holy of holies, where we draw near to God every week in worship, that goes on and on and on. We need that. And he can do that, and he does it, because he's not like the former priests who in sin and weakness die and stay dead. He always lives. The righteous, holy, innocent, unstained, sinless, loving, exalted priest that he continues to be for his people that only he can be. Nobody, you see, can love us more than this priestly Christ who's always there for us. No. And that's the priestly Christ that we're called to profess. And why wouldn't we? When nobody can love us more than he can. And we think about what this interceding Christ does for us all the time. As well as what he's already done for us once for all. It should be no wonder to us at all that we're called to profess our trust in the name of that Christ, that priest. It should be a pleasure and a relief consolation beyond compare to make that profession. This one who took all our sins away once for all, but who is always looking out for us. The one on earth, the other in heaven. But in doing that, there's that priestly resemblance that we're called to bear then, right? As Christians. And we get a taste of that in our passage when it speaks to us about drawing near to God. Our catechism calls this drawing near to God and presenting ourselves to God as his Christ and his Christ as a living sacrifice of thanks which we can be when the Spirit of Christ changes our hearts into living faith. In Hebrews, we hear that drawing near to God conveys itself, first of all, as a sacrifice of praise. You know that in chapter 13. The fruit of lips that acknowledge His name through Christ. And that sacrifice is what these worship services are all about. Whenever we're gathering together, we're being priestly. We are giving a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that acknowledge the name of this Christ who atoned for us once for all and who loves us continuously. Continually. But drawing near would also be the prayers by which we draw near to God in the name of the Lord. And in prayer we show that we're a people who are an interceding people like the Christ who intercedes in heaven and the Spirit of Christ who intercedes for us on earth. 
And we can do that for people in high positions or, or it might be in the church or it might be outside of it, man, woman, child. And how often we see the need of such intercession on various levels and situations. We certainly saw it this week. Hearing people say, pray for me. And to say, guess what? Many people are praying for you. Calling to bring the needs of the people to God, even as Christ and the Holy Spirit bring our prayerful needs to the Father in perfect way. But it also covers all our lives, this priestly endeavor. The church of Jesus Christ is a holy priesthood because of Christ and by His Spirit. And, and we're not called... Uh, to be, of course, in a priesthood of the Old Testament variety, to the uh, of the bloody variety, well, that would be just uh, ridiculous. Because we just say, the, that blood has been spilled once for all. It's done. So the only thing we can be then is not dead sacrifices, but living ones. We... We're not competing with or adding to the unique priesthood of Christ whose blood alone attends, uh, atones all for all our sins, dying for our sins once for all. But we're all called to be bloodless priests that way. A priest in a bloodless way is living sacrifice. Made alive by the Spirit of Pentecost. Alive to devotion. Right? Especially when you think your sins not in part but the whole have been nailed to the cross and, and you know this Christ who never stops loving you. And so you devote yourself in what would otherwise be your dead and devious life into a devoted life of priestly service to God. You don't neglect. That's what Hebrews would like to talk about. You don't neglect to do good and to share what you have because such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And then you think about what you can do with that in the summer that's unfolding. And the ways you've been doing. You know, you, in continual prayer for your family, for your family, your faith, for people around that you know need you, for the world around you. It might be the encouraging word that you give to those in need of it. It may be that giving of your gift of generosity. It may be speaking that good word to others of the hope that's within you. And they say, why do you live like that? Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. You might be visiting the sick or shut-in. You might be the hand, it might be the hand that you lend in the council. These men are doing that. They're willing to do that. God help them as they do that. As they're being deacons and elders and working together as, in devotion in the council. Or a church project comes up and you say, let me help. It could be in your demeanor for people in the church or outside of it. And they see that you're a man or woman of God in Christ. You boys and girls that are out there and you go home and you get a nice meal, how about bringing the plate to the sink 
That's how you can do that. How about doing things that your mom and dad don't tell you you have to do, you just do them. Hey, Mom, I'll, I'll do the dishes. Let me fold those clothes. Guess what? I'll clean up my room. Yeah, an extra hand around the house, even when your parents don't ask. For you, it may be a renewed joy in coming to praise God with the fruit of lips that praise his name when the opportunity and the call to praise arises because you remember it again that not in part but the whole, you were, the, the, your sins were nailed to the cross and you don't bear them anymore and you have a Christ who's always looking after you. That's why you come. Not to please your parents, not to please your grandparents, not to make sure you make a good front. It's just that you see the amazing grace of God. And you know what Christ has done for you, what he's doing for you, and what he will. And you want to devote yourself to that. It, it may be in the devotion that you, that you show to your spouse or your family as a whole, and you give of yourself, and you take up your cross, and you follow Christ, and you say, you know, I, I, I'm going to double down and appreciate my spouse more than I ever did. And I do that for Christ. I do that for her. I do that for him. But I do it for Christ, whatever it might be. We're called to present ourselves to God and as Christ as a follower of Christ the priest, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing in the sight of God in Christ. Christ deserves nothing less when in faith we profess what he's done for us once for all and what he's continually doing. As he pleads our cause to the Father as the only high priest that he is, that there is. That's the crux that we're called to profess as it follows, with a devotion that can never compare to his once-for-all devotion on earth and his continual devotion for us in heaven. Amen. Let's, let's respond in prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for the privilege of your gospel and the, the wonders of Christ and what he's done on earth as well as in heaven. And may we take great delight in that then to be devoted in sacrifice of praise to you with gratitude each and every day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 265 is our song of response out of the Trinity Psalter hymnal that's